0: the Christian community? What did it mean to be in community together? This week we're looking at the lepers and the Lord. The lepers and the Lord. So chapter 17, 11 to 19 is the passage and we'll take a look together. Hear now the word of God. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And may God add his rich blessing to us, inspired and errant and Falliboard. Let's pray together. <coughs> it's no accident we're here this morning, Lord, by divine appointment we are here. So that means you have something to speak into each heart. Regardless of station in life, age, speak now through this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, three things, very simple, three headings in this narrative, we'll roll right through it. Number one, they had a really horrible conditions. So what was their condition? Number two, his cure, powerful to understand his cure. Then finally, the most important aspect, there was a conversion. So we have a condition, a cure, and a conversion. Before we do that, sometimes in order for a passage to make sense, we have to unpack just a little bit of background. We don't take much time, but... Some the ancient world there's some things there that maybe we don't understand so there's a couple things here in the passage we want to look at when you see it open that now that he was on the way to Jerusalem that's instructive it's telling you something and it's telling you something very very deep here in this passage what what, what does it mean that he's on the way to Jerusalem it means he's on the way to his death but while he's on the way to his death he stops he pauses and he heals these lepers that's that's incredibly instructive you know what that means what, what's going on in your life matters to him he was on the way to the cross, and it mattered to them. But there's something else we want to know about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of really three primary things. Jerusalem was the center of Roman power. It was the power at the time of the known world, the greatest, the greatest empire in the known world. So it was the, it was the center of Roman power. And they didn't care for Jesus. It was the center of religious persecution. They hated him. But in all of that, it was the center of the Redeemer's passion. What was that? That was all about you. His passion. His cross work. His drinking of God's cup of wrath that you might have eternal life. That's Jerusalem. All wrapped up in one. One more point. This I got from Dr. Sam a long time ago. Along the border between Samaria and and Galilee. That's instructive. It's It's a mixed racial area. You know that the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were a mixed breed, half Jewish, the ones left behind and those that mingled then with the pagan world and and intermarried. So just that's enough for us to know. We've unpacked them before, but they're hating each other. Samaritans hated Jews, okay? So it's a racially mixed area. But you need to get ready for the punchline because there's a punchline at the end of the story that draws you in. Remember the good Samaritan? That, that, that was the punchline. Why was the Samaritan good when the priest and the Levite walked by the person who was hurting on the road? That didn't make sense to a first century Jewish audience. The priest should have stopped and the Levite should have stopped, and neither did. So who stopped? The, Le- uh, the, the Samaritan. So you're going to see that in this passage, okay? We're going to head out into some deep water, let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was their condition? As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. Leprosy was the scourge of the ancient world. It was considered absolutely incurable, apart from God intervening. It's mentioned, depending on your translation in the Scripture, it's mentioned about 45 times, so it's all over the Scriptures, but it's deeper. it's, 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 It's a picture of the sin condition in the human heart. So let's take a look at this. Leprosy was a variety of horrible and hideous, not just skin diseases. It was a disease of the nerves. It, 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 it just it made you numb to what was going on around you. The rabbis in their writings said that it was, the cure for leprosy was as hard as raising someone from the dead. In all of the Old Testament history, we only see two that were cured for leprosy. Let's take a look at those very briefly. Miriam, remember when she was fussing at her brother? And it was punishment for speaking against Moses. She was given leprosy by the Almighty, and then she was cured. That's in Numbers 12. And then remember Naaman, the general of the army of Aram, 2 Kings, he, he, was, he had leprosy. But he listened to Elijah, goes into the Jordan, bathes seven times, and, and, and he's cured. That's the only two. When you got leprosy, it was, it, you were, you were, you were going to die from it. You were dead. But it's a powerful illustration of the destructive power of sin. Why? Well, first, we just mentioned that there's, there's nerve damage. Well, when you're locked into sin, you become numb to sin, and sin's damage, just like the leper is numb to his condition. Also, you're an outcast. The lepers were an outcast from from Jewish society, but by nature, our sin condition makes us outcasts to the kingdom of God. So in order for us to be able to be brought in, something has to happen. Something needs to be, be changed and fixed and healed. And that's really the deeper message of what's happening here with these lepers. And that's what Jesus wants us to get while he's on the way to make the ultimate sacrifice to bring us into the kingdom. Okay? You with me? So leprosy produces outcasts and so does sin in the kingdom of God. And finally, when we realize that we're all lepers by nature, then it Helps us learn how to live alongside of everyone because we don't see ourselves as better than anyone. We see ourselves only having been saved by God's grace, undeserving of His mercy, undeserving of His grace and love, and yet He reaches down and raises us from death to life. Okay? A couple more things. In Leviticus 13, God is speaking to Moses and telling him how we have to handle people that have this hideous disease that is a picture the bible theologically uses leprosy as a picture of our sin here's what god says to moses the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes let his hair be unkempt cover the lower part of his face and cry out unclean unclean as long as he has the infection he remains unclean he must live alone he must live outside the camp You, you know the popular show the walking dead that's what they were and they made the proclamation that they were the walking dead as they walked by. And there were distances. They weren't allowed to come within contact of the, the regular population. So they had to holler out to let people know, we're unclean. We are the walking dead. Listen to these words here from Jewish scholar. He's a scholar of the Jewish culture. Alfred Edershim in the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Listen to these words, and he's, and he's rooting it in the passage we just read. As the leper passed by, his clothes rent, we just read that, his hair disheveled and the lower part of his face and upper lip is covered because they, they, you could transfer the disease by by, by breathing. They, they, all of these things, so they were totally covered. It was as one going to death who read his own burial service. Unclean, unclean, reading his own burial service. The mournful words, unclean, unclean, which he uttered, proclaimed that he was both living and moral death. What did the ancient world believe of, of leprosy? It's the same thing they believed of anything that was wrong with you. It was God's curse. It was God's judgment against you. Now, we know that that's not true. Now, we know that God sent stuff like that at times, but what was the problem in, in thinking that that was the case for everything? Remember the paral- paralyzed man, 38 years, laying by the pool? The disciples say to Jesus, Who sinned, this man or, or his parents? This man was born with this. What do you mean? Did he sin in the womb? What are you asking? And, and so we, they had a tendency to, to, to relate anything that went wrong with you, God was judging you. Well, we know that from the book of Job that's not true. So we have to be able to separate those two things. And we have 2,000 years of being, being able to look back at biblical history, and we know that that's not the case. So here, this is an object lesson for us. Jesus is drawing us in to teach us what it means to have the, a, a sin condition that has to be cured and, and, and corrected by Christ. Go to verse 13. Notice this. And we'll get back to this at the very end. They called out in a loud voice. And they said, Master, have pity on us. Why a loud voice? Why is that in that passage? Because the distance demanded it. They couldn't get close. So they had to holler. And now they say, Master, have pity on us. We don't know. Commentators don't know what exactly they're asking for. Are they asking to be healed? We don't know. We know that the reputation of Jesus has preceded him. We know that. He's only healed another leper. So we don't know what they know, but maybe they're asking for something from his hand, alms. Maybe they're asking for something from his heart. We don't know, but they're crying out to Jesus in a loud voice. Master, Jesus, have pity on us, okay? You see their condition? They're dead. There's no hope. Rabbis can't heal them. Priests can't heal them. Sacrificial system can't heal them. Nobody can heal them except God. Number two, now here's the cure. Ready for this? Verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go. Sh- oh. That doesn't make sense. Seems to be an error in Scripture. Look at it. Look at, what, what do you mean he saw them? He heard them. They're at a distance. They're long ways away. Why doesn't, why, doesn't, why doesn't Luke, the good doctor, say, when he heard them cry out, he said, go? Why, why does he say he saw them? Because nobody saw them. They were outcasts. Only Jesus would take notice of them. You ever feel alone? You ever feel unwanted or unwelcomed? He sees you. He's with you. He cares for you. That, that's, we could just stay on that for weeks. He saw what no one would look at. They were too hideous to look at. But he saw them. He looked at them through the eyes of love. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're having those moments... And maybe those moments go to, for, from, from moments to days to weeks to months to years. You're not alone. Jesus sees you and he cares for you. Go, th- th- this doesn't go show yourselves to the priests. Why would we do that? We're lepers. We have this, what, what do you want us to do? You want us to be shamed more? What, we, 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 we can't go see them. Why would he say that? He's setting this whole thing up. Notice, first he, has to, first he has to fulfill the law. Watch this. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord speaking to Moses again, Leviticus 14, he's going to give Moses instructions on what has to happen. The Lord says to Moses, these are the regulations for the diseased person. So the leper has certain things he has to do. Any diseased person has certain things they have to do. They've got to go to the priest. The priest has to then examine them, and the priest has to then determine whether or not they're healed. Then give a certificate that, that says they're healed. So he says, first thing, we're going to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So we're going to fulfill the law. Says, go and see them. The priest is to go outside. Can't even go inside the camp. Got to go outside the camp to examine them. Jesus fulfills the law. But Jesus is also the fulfillment of the law. What does that mean? (laughs) Every promise, every prediction, every prophecy... Every single bleating of the lamb in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Christ. He not only fulfills the law, he is the fulfillment of the law. He went to, somebody had to pay for our sin. God is just. You can't just forgive and say, it. nope, someone has to pay. So he's just. There must be payment. But he's also the justifier. And God in Christ goes to a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So he not only fulfills the law in everything that he does, he becomes the, what, is, what, is, what was the law designed to do? What did Calvin say? To point you to a savior. You couldn't. You, the, law, the law was to drive you to the cross. Love the Lord your God with all your heart so You couldn't do that. Have no idols before you. Have no other... You couldn't do that. Honor me. We couldn't do that. Do not commit adultery. We commit spiritual adultery daily. So the law was designed to what? Drive us to somebody who could fulfill it. And that's the Lord Jesus. So he fulfills and is the fulfillment all in one. But watch this. Don't miss this. And this ties into the sermon last week because all of this kind of flows... Jesus is working through all of these things together, the mind of God, as they went. Do you know what that means? As they went. It's a test of faith. Why would they go? Some of these people probably had this for years. They had no contact with anyone. And he says, go show yourselves. Are you kidding me? It's like what he says to the paralyzed man who's lowered through the roof. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Who cares about that? I'm not here for that. I want to walk. But Jesus says, no, there's something deeper in your condition. Your walking isn't isn't the problem. Your greatest enemy is not the fact that your legs don't work. Your greatest enemy is sin, Satan, and death. And I've come to destroy the works of the devil. Yes, those are the devil's works that you're paralyzed. There'll be no paralyzed people in heaven. And no one's going to drive off the road into a canal die because everything will be perfect because Christ has come and paid the penalty for all of that so they go why remember the sermon last week the disciples said increase our faith do you need more faith you're on live stream be careful nodding be careful you have, you have as much faith as you're ever going to get. It's just like the Holy Spirit. There's, there's not a second working of the Holy Spirit. There, there isn't a special group of people in the church that have this second working of that, 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 that. that. There's only one Holy Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Holy Spirit infuses you, and then you have, what, what do you need? You don't need more faith. You need to act on the faith you have. You need to be obedient. That's how faith grows. So Jesus says go, and what do they do? They go. And everything in their minds and in their hearts say, Why would we go? This doesn't make sense. Heal us and we'll go. No, he says, go. Why? He's testing their faith. And they go. Your faith is being tested all the time. Are you acting on the revelation that God has already given you? God didn't tell you what to wear today, doesn't tell you what to drive, doesn't tell you where to live, didn't tell you who to marry. But 95% of God's will is laid out in a book. You know, the kids come back from college, especially on breaks. They come back from college. You know the first thing they say to me? Many of them, oh, coach, you'll never guess what happened. Okay, what happened? You'll never guess. I met the girl of my dreams. I met the man of my dreams. So I'm waiting for the punchline, and they know that. And they know what I'm waiting for. Are they saved? Are they saved? Well, so you think you're going to get them saved? Stay close to them. Preach the gospel. Go to Bible studies with them, but don't give them your heart. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Don't do that. Don't do that. You, you, you don't get a vote. Love them from a distance. Love them. Preach to them. Share the Bible. Get, get involved in their lives. But you can't be unequally old. So So 95% of God's will is laid out for you. Do you give of your time and your talent and your treasure? God has laid it out. It's not up for a vote. So Jesus says, you know the will of God. Act on the will. And your faith grows. So he says to these ten guys, go. They had to, they, they to have turned around and went, I, I can't. But they had to have enough faith to go. So the next time you hear God say go, guess what? Go. You know how many people say, well, is that really you, God? And, and, you know, I'm really not sure. You don't need to be sure. Well, I don't know if I have everything. Well, you don't need everything worked out. Well, I'm not, I'm not really positive if it really is God or maybe it's indigestion. What would you eat last night? If it's God and you know it's him speaking, you know, go. You don't have to figure it out. What if it doesn't work? It isn't up to you if it works. What's up to you is following God's will. Go. Healed as they went in obedience to the word of God. You know what mountain moving faith is? We looked at that last week. If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, right? Tiny little seed, you can ask this tree to be uprooted and and go into the sea. What was he saying? What's mountain moving faith? A faith that moves you. That's what mountain moves. It's not moving a mountain. You're the mountain. Is your faith moving you? Is it moving you to be more obedient to the word of God? That's what faith is. It's acting on the revealed truth of Scripture. Finally, number three. Okay, so we see the condition is they're dead. And the condition is for who, remember in the stories, remember don't do like some people in the, you know there's a lot of people in the church. They read the scriptures and they look at the stories and they try to figure out who the people are in the stories. Let me give you some insight on the stories in in the scriptures when you read them. Let me tell you who you never are in the story. You're never Jesus, okay? So when you read this story and you're looking and you're trying to figure out who am I because I'm not a leper. I'm not a leper, so I must be Jesus. No, you're not Jesus. You're You're the leper. You're the leper. You're the walking dead, okay? So you got it? You know who you are. So, if we're walking dead and we're lepers, what's our hope? Jesus. It's our only hope. The church can't heal us, priests can't heal us. Jesus can heal us. That's it. So, we come to Christ by grace through faith, trusting that Christ will cleanse us. And what does he say? Anyone who comes to me, anyone. I will never cast out. Wow. There it is. So here's the conclusion. There was a conversion. Don't miss this. See, see, this is the whole point of the passage. First of all, we'll preach this at, at Thanksgiving time. This is a great gratitude message. Right? Be thankful. Right? Be thankful to God, right? You should be very thankful. But there's a deeper message here. Somebody gets saved. Something happens to somebody. Beyond this, this, watch. Jesus asked, guy comes back. I sent 10 of you. We're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? You understand the point he's making? It's, it's the story Jesus is telling. We're, we're the nine. Was no one found to return to give praise to God? Oh, skeptics say to me, you know what? Jesus never claimed to be God. There's nowhere in the scripture where Jesus says, I am God. And I I say, you're right. No matter how you look at the original language, I am God. He doesn't say it that way. But he says it every other way. Now notice in this passage what, what, what he says. Was no one found to return to give praise to God? Who's God? Jesus. What's the praise? He falls at his feet. Jesus wouldn't receive that kind of worship and praise. That's reserved only for God. So does Jesus claim to be God? Of course he does. When he goes back to the burning bush and he says to the Pharisees, I am that I am. And and, and he repeats that great statement in the Old Testament. What is he claiming? He's Yahweh. I'm God. I don't know anywhere in Scripture where he doesn't claim to be God. But he never actually comes out and says, I'm God. He says it in every other way. So he says it here. Is there no one comes and, and, and praises God except this foreigner, this outsider? Jesus said what? Go! Oh, don't miss this. Go, because you came back to me looking for a blessing. You've been made well. No, 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 no. Because because you you were you were bolder than the others, and you and you turned around and came back. You're, no, no. What made him well? Faith. Now, in the Greek, there's a word, sometimes we bring the Greek or the Hebrew. We don't bring it unless we need to, but we do on this one, Sotso. Look at the Greek word Sotso. It means to be saved, to be whole. This is the shalom of God. So Yader is experiencing the shalom of God today. Which all of you who are in Christ will one day soon. That's the complete wholeness of God. That's what the Jew was, was hoping for. That, that beatific vision to stand before the face of God. In in the complete blessedness of being with God, the shalom, which we will never experience here fully and completely. But what happens is when you're raised from death to life, you catch a glimpse of the shalom of God, right? Remember, we live in what we call that already. Theologians call it the already and not yet phase. You are already perfected in the eyes of God, right? Because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So God looks at you only as he looks as his son, but you know that you sin every day. So you go, okay, so that, 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 that's, okay, I like that, but I, I need more. So you know that you already live in the kingdom of God, and you say, okay, if this is the kingdom of God, why are people shooting people? And why does somebody drive off the road? Because the kingdom is already here, but not yet fully consummated. So we still have to deal with what? Sin, the works of the devil. They're still here. Sin no longer reigns. Sin doesn't reign in your heart if you're his. I just prayed with somebody at 9 o'clock, right, right, in, right in the fellowship hall. And said, so, you, know you know what he said to me? I feel, more, I, 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 I feel more like a goat than a sheep. I think I'm a goat. And you know what I said to him? You couldn't even think that if you weren't a sheep. Well, I don't do this. I don't do it, Neither do I. How do you think I live? How do you think I treat the people closest to me sometimes, the things I say, the things I do? You think I live like a sheep? But you couldn't think like that if you weren't his. You'd never think like that. It would be beyond your capacity to think like that. And he got emotional. This was a young man. You know you're his. But you know you don't live like his all the time. That's not the point. Your heart beats to live like him. Your heart beats for Christ, but you, but you, but it doesn't always beat that way. But one day it will. That shalom will come and and will engulf you, and, and you will forever be in that state of wholeness with a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, there's work in the new world. We're doing a new study in the fall. Your work matters to God no matter what you do. People think people who are missionaries and ministers and priests doing God's work. Oh, my goodness. That got messed up centuries ago. And the reformers worked on fixing it. The priesthood of all believers. You know that everything you do is is, is an act of worship to God if you're doing it for his glory. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you work in finance, you're a doctor, you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're doing it for the glory of God, you're doing God's work. And you want to know something? You who are out in the world as opposed to me who is in the church, you have far greater impact and influence than I ever will. You're involved in the culture constantly. So you bring Christ to what you do. You do good work. You know what Martin Luther said? The girl who milks the cows, the man who plows the farm, is doing God's work. So the key is understanding who it is that you're living for and what your heart beats for. And if it's beating for Christ, you're His. Notice, Ten were healed of a skin disease, right? He says, weren't weren't all ten healed? Yes, they were. But only one was healed of a sin disease. Now let me show you the character of the converted. We're done. Notice his submission. Now listen to what I said. This is the character of the converted. If you're converted, this is your character. It doesn't mean this is your character all the time. It doesn't mean that you're going to live this perfectly. But notice the character of the converted. It's called submission. That's the first thing. Where was this man? At Jesus' feet, okay? 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet. There's a picture of submission. Who do you think of immediately in Scripture? Mary. Remember Mary Martha? Right? We're all more like who? Don't say Mary, because you're not. You don't sit enough at the feet of Jesus. You're Martha. Working, 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 working. What was the difference between Mary and Martha? Mary knew when to clock out. Got it. And she says to Jesus, don't you care? Imagine that. She's rebuking you. Don't you care that my sister has left me and I'm preparing this nine-course meal for you? What does Jesus say? Man, Martha, I don't really want a nine-course meal. She chose the better thing. And you know what? Why don't you put your doing down and come sit here with me? This is the better thing, and she chose it. And I will not take it from her. So, submission is what? At his feet. You spend time there. Two, notice his surrender. Ooh, this is deep. A little deeper water. Ready? He risked a change in his healing. If something happens that quickly, these guys, these people are lepers. We don't know for how long. Say some for years. They're dying of their condition, they're outcasts. And this healing happens instant. He says, Go, they go, and they're healed. If something happens that quickly, it wasn't a long process. Maybe it reverses quickly. I don't, can you only imagine what he's thinking? Watch. He offers thanks for healing before a priest can certify it. Now, you know what some people have said to me? He says, well, he, he was an outsider. He, he wasn't a Jew. He, he had no priest. No, 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 no. No, he says, Samaritan, they had their own priesthood. Mount Gerizim is where they worship. The Samaritans had priests. Notice the word priest is in plural. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. So you have your own priest to go to, you have your own priest to go, go to your priest.'" He doesn't go. He notices that he's healed, and he turns around, and he comes back. So he risks a change in his healing before he gets a certificate. And what's the certificate going to give him? What did he long for? What did he long for? Comfort of his family, company of his friends, consolation of his faith. He couldn't worship anymore, and the contentment of his freedom. This is what he longed for, and he risked losing all of that. If he could have at least got the certificate, And even if some of it came back, he had the certificate he could get back in the community for at least a little bit. He doesn't care. He comes back to Christ at his feet. Now, deeper, he risked a change in his healer. What does that mean? He knows who he is. He knows he's hated and despised by the Jews, and he knows Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. So what is he thinking when he's going back? He's got to be thinking, oh, He's going to know who I am. But i got to go. My heart has been changed. I have to go. Notice this. Jesus healed all 12 as a group. He's got to be thinking, maybe he doesn't know I'm a Samaritan. He just lumped me in with the, with the Jews. His, his people, he lumps me in. I, get, I got to get out of here. No, he comes back. He, in isolation, he will now be identified as a Samaritan. And Jesus identifies him as a Samaritan and... Maybe Jesus will reverse his healing. He risked a change in his healing, and he risked a change in his healer, and he didn't care why. He loved the giver of the gift more than he loved the gift itself. How do we close? Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. This is important to tie the whole thing together. And they called out in a loud voice. Notice that they're calling a loud voice. Why? They have to. The distance demands a loud voice. But we're not done. See, see, Luke is writing this. Jesus is telling this story in a way that 2,000 years later, we're going to get something that's easy to miss. So they cry out in a loud voice. But watch. One of them comes back. And when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. No need to do that. You're at his feet. But he praises in a loud voice. Ready for this? He pleaded with a loud voice out of duty. He had a duty to plead in a loud voice. Distance demanded it. He had to be so many feet away from anyone who was alive. So he pleaded with a loud voice out of duty. Now he praises with a loud voice out of devotion. So here's the question. Ready? Is our praising as loud as our pleading? It's not for me all the time. I cry out and cry out and plead and cry out. And sometimes I just, a quick thank you, even if I do that sometimes. It happens to all of us. But this passage is telling us, do we praise him? As loud as we plead, do we love him? Everybody loves God when they're getting good stuff from him. You love all the good things that God gives you. you love him when the storm winds come in? Do you trust him when you can't trace him? Do you? You know how many people walk away from their faith when something tragic happens? They just leave. Do you love him no matter what? Do you trust him no matter what? And I'm not saying it's easy. But that's what the passage wants us to see. He was more thankful for his healer than his healing. Finally, verse 16, here's the punchline. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him for he was a Samaritan. Who's the Samaritan? So not only is he a leper, so we're not only lepers, we're also Samaritans. We're hated and despised. We're outside of the community of God. But what does the passage tell us? No one is beyond the pity of our prince. No one. But can I make one final point? He didn't ask them to get cleaned up. He saw them, spoke to them, ministered to them. Then he healed them. And one came back whose heart has been transformed. Praising God in a loud voice. Is that the confession of our lives? Maybe you see yourself as a leper today. And we always, always know that some come to church, some for the first time some by way of the internet. And you might be thinking, you know, Pastor, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea the things that I have thought. I am so unclean. That's why you need his blood. His blood cleans you from your leprosy and raises you from death to life. That's the gospel. No one is beyond his reach. Come to Christ, all who are weary and heavy laden. in Jesus, I will give you rest. Rest from your self-salvation project. Rest today. Come to Christ by grace through faith. And salvation is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. If there's anyone here today who has never surrendered control of their lives to you, if there's anyone by way of the internet who has never surrendered to you, O oh God, give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. We are all lepers by natural birth, beyond hope, except for you. And yet we see in that passage that you saw them. You saw them. You see all of us. Oh, God. If there's anyone who's never prayed, just let them say these words with me. Father God, I heard the gospel today. I heard the truth. I know I'm a leper. And I know I can't change myself. Father, I trust in you. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. Raise me from death to life. I trust in Jesus Christ. I know he's the Savior. And I give my life to you. May we, I, help me to spend my time at your feet. Surrendered and submitted to your will. And Lord, for the rest of us, help us to keep growing in our faith by living obediently. To your will in Christ's name, Amen. Would you all stand with us alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope? And place to begin.